In this video, we have asked Moraine Valley faculty and staff to offer their short reactions to Eve Ewing's book, 1919. This is our first book of poetry in our many years of holding the One Book program. In the book 1919, Ewing explores the race riots of that year which left 38 people dead and 1,000 people homeless. She connects us with that time and examines a piece of Chicago history that is not often discussed. Ewing has said that African American life in Chicago today is radically different from 1919 and radically unchanged. Ewing is a professor of sociology at the University of Chicago. She is a researcher, novelist, comic book author, and poet. My name is Dewey Scott. I am student success specialist in the Student Success Center at Moraine Valley Community College. Shooting this video to contribute to the one, one book, one college conversation for the library this year. Uh, the book chosen this year was a book entitled 1919, written by Eve Ewing. 1919 discusses the Chicago race riots that took place in 1919 when a young black man who was swimming on the white side of Lake Michigan was killed by a white mob who was swimming on the white side of 31st Street Beach. In the book, Dr. Ewing talks about that moment when the, when the young man died. She talks about the aftermath of the riots that took place as a result of his death. But she also talks about the underlying factors that contributed to the racial tension prior to the young man dying. So when the young man died, it actually was the last straw or the, the, the bubbling up to the surface of things that have been happening for a long time underneath. She talked about the racial segregation in Chicago, about what it, the wealth gap, wealth inequality between blacks and whites, uh, what impact that had in, in Chicago at that time. She talked about poor educational uh, facilities in the black community and a few other things that contributed to the resentment between the races um, in addition to full-scale racism and anger on that, that white people had just at the presence of blacks who were migrating from the South. I think overall, Dr. Ewing did a fantastic job. The book is amazing. The poetry is amazing. She taught me more about the, the, the incident. That I, I knew things about the incident, but she taught me more. I didn't know as much as I should have. She taught me more through poems in a way that was very engaging, very informative. I think she did a fantastic job with the book. I think it's a very underrated book. I hope more people can get their hands on it to, to sort of learn more about the incident, but also to draw their own conclusions and see connections between 1919 and 2020. So when thinking about the ways in which the book speaks to 2020, uh, first and foremost, no one would know that 2020 would turn out to be the year that it has become. In the city of Chicago and in many cities across the nation, we've had our own riots this year, and the riots were race-based. Uh, the riots were precipitated by George Floyd's death in, in Minnesota in, March, uh, I'm sorry, in May of 2020. May 31st and June 1st, we had riots here in Chicago. As a long, lifelong Chicagoan, I was born and raised in Chicago. I currently live in Chicago. I'm on the south side, 77th and Bennett right now as I film this video. I saw the riots up close. When the riots took place, I left my house. I went out to the neighborhood. I went out to different neighborhoods and I watched and I saw everything take place May 31st and June 1st. I saw the aftermath of it as well. I took pictures, videos, everything. 
one thing I know by being someone who has lived in Chicago my entire life, everything that Dr. Ewing talked about as underlying factors in the 1919 riots, they were underlying factors in the 2020 riots. Racial segregation in Chicago. This is one of the most racially segregated cities in the nation. Housing insecurity or inferior housing, right? Food desert, my particular neighborhood in, in particular, South Shore neighborhood is a active food desert, right? All of these things in addition to much more pushed people over the edge and led to riots. George Floyd's death did spark the riots, yes, but it was the last straw, much like the young man who died in 1919. Everything else had been bubbling underneath the surface for decades, right? So when the riots took place, me personally, I wasn't too surprised, right? I wasn't too surprised as, particularly, particularly when we were talking about the death of unarmed black men by police, Chicago has had uh, Laquan McDonald. Other cities, Minneapolis in itself has had Philando Castile. When we talk about Michael Brown, when we talk about Eric Garner, um, when we talk about women with Renisha McBride, we talk about Sandra Bland, all of these things, these things have been bubbling underneath the surface, Freddie Gray, for a very, very long time. George Floyd's death brought it to surface across the country, particularly in Chicago. But again, beyond his death, these things are still here, right? Chicago is still segregated. Many of the black communities are still food deserts. Um, many of them have inferior schools. Nothing has changed in 101 years from what I've learned from the book. So when drawing connections from 1919 to 2020, I see that all of the major issues that led to riots, that led to racial dissension, that led to violence, that led to anger, these things have not changed. They just haven't, right? Band-Aid solutions have been placed on top of them sometimes pretty coverings uh, on the surface, but the underlying root causes have not changed. I now see that 101 years later, if these things have not been solved, then we can have riots again as we had in 2020. Again, now we're in 2020, if these things again are not solved, then we set ourselves in, in a position to, for this maybe to happen again. But Eve Ewing's 1919 helped me draw connections to why things are the way they are, why the 2020 riots have taken place the way that they have, all because the things that Black Chicago has dealt with 100 years ago, not much of it has changed underneath the surface. Not much has changed in the foundation. So we get the same results. Hopefully that won't be the case, but as of right now, there's nothing in place that seems to be changing these underlying circumstances. So we're setting ourselves up for potentially having something like this happen again. Lessons that I've learned in the book 1919 can impact my role as a student success specialist at Moraine Valley in a number of ways. For the, for the need to be succinct, I'll just talk about the primary way. As I've learned in 1919, many of the factors, the underlying factors that, that were existing in 1919 and led to the Chicago riot in 1919, those factors still exist in 2020. So as my role as a student success specialist, one thing I've learned through this ordeal is that one of the best ways to handle this situation is to help my students learn across difference. And when I say across difference, what I mean is to learn about di different communities, cultures, groups of people who are different than you. 
as a student success specialist, I work very closely with students on a regular basis. I can see through the book that a lot of what has happened comes because different groups of people do not interact or do not know about other different uh, other groups of people. The more I can uh, employ my students to understand or to learn about those who think differently from them, who are of a different race, of a different religion, different sexual orientation, uh, uh, different background, different political ideologies, the more that they can learn about people who are different than them, then the more understanding, the more educated they become, and the less frustration, the less animosity that can fester between different groups. So my goal, or what I have been inspired to do through this book, through 1919, is to help my students learn more and more across difference. That, I believe, can be my contribution based on what I've learned so far. Eve Ewing, in her collection of poems, she intends for them to be, and I quote, an entry point into a conversation, a conversation about history that has been overlooked or forgotten and not discussed enough. In her dedication, she dedicates this book of poems to the many who were lost in the waters, who were lost in the Middle Passage, and to those who made a safe passage. But unfortunately, even those who did make a safe passage did not always feel at home. And so from her poem, The Train Speaks, she talks from the perspective of the train who's telling African-Americans moving north and moving to Chicago, I can never take you home. You have none. In order to feel a sense of home, one needs to feel a sense of status. So in this poem coming from the stockyards, Eve Ewing imagines this teacher who felt he did have status in the South when he was teaching school children. And he says, and I quote, I called myself a scholar in Georgia, but here in Chicago, he's no longer a teacher and he feels very lonely. In Georgia, at least, he could teach his students because when his students were writing X instead of their names, he taught them how to sign their names, how to write their names, and how to hold on to their identity. He also recalls this about his children. He calls them zoetrope children, moving always and never. So Eve Ewing evokes the sense, a circular motion that keeps on spinning and spinning, moving but going nowhere. And he recalls this image with a sense of sadness. And Eve Ewing invokes this image of the spinning that keeps on going and goes nowhere in her poem, Jump Rope, which is dedicated of Eugene Williams, who unfortunately drowned in Lake Michigan. His death was the start of the race riots of 1919. In her poem, Jump Rope, Eve Ewing has created this poem as if children are talking about Eugene. 
And what she leaves out is just as painful as what she includes. For example, in one of her lines, and I quote them here, Grandma, Grandma, sick in bed, call on Jesus because your babies. And she leaves out that very important word. But what she also chooses to include is extremely important as well, too. And he never came back, back, back. Again, evoking that circular motion of the rope moving back and forth and of the zoetrope moving, spinning on and on. You know, so one wonders, when is the cycle of violence going to ever end? Eve Ewing herself says that in the poem Jump Rope, she has invoked the image, the lynch rope image. Not much was written about Eugene Williams, and Henry Louis Gates, he says the following, because of the experiences of the diaspora, the fragments that contain the traces of a coherent system of order must be reassembled. To reassemble fragments, of course, is to engage in an act of speculation. And this is what I see Eve Ewing doing. So she's taking fragments of the history and she's engaging in an act of speculation so that we can understand the history and hopefully engage in meaningful discussions around Moraine Valley. So there is this man that she talks about, James Crawford Speaks. So James Crawford aimed a gun and shot at the police who were doing nothing. And he in turn shot back. So Eve Ewing creates a poem whereby she captures, she speculates on his very last thoughts. And Eve Ewing says this, I'm always obsessed with which names we learn in history and which names we don't learn and why. And so the poem is a small attempt at kind of inhabiting the story and giving an emotional life that we otherwise can't access to this historical moment. And this is what she's trying to do. She's trying to use speculation in order to understand this forgotten about person. Another forgotten about incident is the 1995 heat wave that killed so many people in Chicago, so many of the elderly and so many of the African-Americans. And in situations like this, a disaster like this really highlights who is privileged and who is not. E-viewing all following as well too. Emmett Till is engraved in a lot of our memories as this very young 14-year-old victim of lynching. And in one of her poems, I saw Emmett Till this week at a grocery store. She's speculating, I feel, once again, another chapter in the history of Emmett Till, where he's at a grocery store and he's looking very gently at this, at this plum. And he engages in a conversation with this woman who was talking, talking with him. And the conversation ends peacefully where he does say, hello, young lady. And that's it. So in this poem, it's as if she's opening up, creating a chapter 
where we get to see Emmett Till, the human, the human being, the person, and not the person that history keeps insisting that he is a victim. Hello, my name is Mary Fifleece, and I am a professor of history and political science and sociology at Moraine Valley. And I'm here to share a few brief thoughts on E. Ewing's 1919 uh, book about the Chicago race riots of 1919. Um, and just to, to kind of jump in on the, on the subject matter here since I only have a, a few minutes. Um, going through it, I had a lot of reactions to some of the different poems. And I'm, I'm not normally a poetry person. I don't know if I'm just not deep enough to get it, but um, I, I sometimes struggle with it. But it's, this is written so clearly um, that it, it can even appeal to someone, someone as ignorant as I am when it comes to, comes to um, poetry. But the one that kind of stuck out to me, um, struck me the most, was the, the jump rope poem. And it is one that refers to Eugene Williams, who is the young boy, the 17-year-old boy in Chicago who drowned in Lake Michigan after he drifted over to the white section of Lake Michigan and was stoned to death by the crowd there. And it describes how Eugene went to the lake that morning, and even though his mother told him, you know, white kids are mean, you know, and to be, be aware of that. And that soon thereafter, you know, he, that he was basically found himself drowning. And she uses the terms, down, down, the water's tugging, dragging him down. Um, and maybe it's my fear of drowning. I don't know if it could be that, but just the idea of it just resonated tremendously with me because it reminded me not just of of, of Eugene Williams, but it reminded me of so many other black Americans who have had this experience just in similar ways. So whether we're talking about Emmett Till, who, whose mom told him um, in 1955, you know, when you're going down to the South, it's not like it is up North here. You know, be careful what you say and what you do. Basically, they don't, they don't mess around down there. Um, and of course, for the crime of, of whistling supposedly at a white woman, he ended up being lynched in the most horrific, undescribable manner. Um, but it also reminded me of, I think, a story that's not getting enough attention, I think, in, in, in our, our media right now, and that's the story of Elijah McLean, uh, who was the young man in, who was in Denver, but it's in Colorado, uh, who, was, who, had, who was autistic, who was walking home from uh, a convenience store and was wearing a ski mask. It was cold, and he was stopped by police because he was flailing his arms and appeared suspicious. And when they took him into custody, he immediately began to say to them, but I, I'm, an, I'm an introvert, please, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not gonna hurt anybody, you know, please just leave me. And, and when you read or hear the transcript of that, it is just heartbreaking. It's, it's, it's that, I think more than anything, and, and I don't mean to say that, you know, but just I think it's the idea of, of his innocence um, just resonated so much with me that, you know, here was just this pleading, but it reminded me of, of this poem, you know, down, down the water's tugging and, and, and this boy ends up drowning in Lake Michigan and this other young man ends up uh, being, being shot with a substance that ends up uh, um, putting him in cardiac arrest. Um, and the entire time, like not understanding really what's happening to him and, and why it's happening to him. And I'm sure that Emmett Till probably felt the same way, like he almost maybe a sense of bewilderment, like what? I can't believe, I can't believe this is happening. Um, so that's probably the poem out of, out of the many that that um, that struck me.
but it's I think it ties into a larger theme of just the the survival of the Black American in in American history, and and how many in how many countless stories that we don't know about of people that have had to go through such tremendous um, circumstances, some who made it out alive, hopefully like Jacob Blake, um, and others who unfortunately did not. So um, it's a lovely a lovely book, and it's haunting but lovely in that how it's written and how it's how it's composed and I'm, I'm really glad that we're doing this because i think this is a story that is way too undertold in american history along with the elijah mclean story that we're not talking about a lot right now um i think the story of of eugene williams and what happened in chicago is often not talked about because we have this perception that in the north everything was so hunky-dory you know that we weren't like the south with those horrible lynching lynchings like you know people like emmett till and others who were lynched and there the lynchings were put on postcards and men who were doused in gasoline and, and burned alive you know we don't do things like that in the north and here you find out the story of this young man who was just swimming innocently and just was in the the wrong section of the lake um and and how he ended up and how this ended up setting off days of of, of race riots throughout chicago um but it and, and it's not even just that the story doesn't end there it goes on from there because it goes on to the the segregation of blacks in Chicago and firebombings of their homes. Um, and it, 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 there's a direct tie-in into how Chicago is, is and remains one of the most segregated cities in America. And that I find to be really sad. Um, and I wish I could end on, on more of a hopeful note, but I think we still have a long way to go. I think that we are better than we were in 1919, um, but I still think that we have a long way to go. And I think that cameras have helped tremendously um, there weren't, there were cameras back then, but there, there, nobody was recording when Eugene Williams was in the lake. And I wonder often what would have happened if there, if there had been. Um, so I hate to leave it on a sad note, but I guess I kind of am. And maybe that's okay for right now. Cause it, I am a little depressed as, at, at what I'm seeing and, and reading and hearing. So thank you. These are my two cents for whatever they're worth. Maybe not very much. Thanks a lot. Hi, my name is Shania Gray, and I am an assistant professor and counselor here at Moraine Valley. And I wanted to share my thoughts today on E. Ewan's 1919 book. So I want to talk first about my general reactions to the book. I will say I hesitated for a little while to read the book because, like many other materials with similar content, it evokes strong emotions in individuals, especially individuals of color. If you know anything about the book, the book really, Eve Ewan's 1919 is a book of poetry that talks about the race riots that occurred in Chicago and many other places throughout the U.S. For me, the book really did evoke those strong emotions because of the fact that oppression has continued in so many forms for Black people in the African diaspora. It shows that although we say people are free because they're no longer enslaved, that they aren't truly free. And one of the things I reacted to in the book, one of the pieces I reacted to, was the fact that the book really highlights how you know, oftentimes I've heard, oh, you know, slavery and racism was mainly an issue in the South, and 
It was not as much in the north, and the book really highlights that that's not the case, that it was a, a different, it appeared in a different context, it looked differently, but in reality, there were a lot of issues that occurred when Blacks began to emigrate from the south to the north. The book, when I went, there are two poems that stand out to me in the book. One is called Exodus 5, which really is, she really makes reference to the book of Exodus in the Bible. And uh, she, Eve Ewan really goes on to say, I'll just read for you a little excerpt. And afterward, the people went down to the chambers of the Pharaoh and told him, Thus saith the Lord God, the God of the prairie and the lake, God of the flatlands and the railroads, God of vice and God of the disciple, God of the meat packer and God of the laundress, God of the lost child. Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the bungalows. And so in this particular poem, and she really um, talks about the people of the Bible. It talks about in the time of Pharaoh when God's people, Pharaoh had enslaved God's people, and God really was trying to tell Pharaoh to let the people go, and it did not happen. And why this stood out to me was because when I, when I think about, in even today's day and age, when I look around and I see the continuous oppression that occurs, it is encouraging, it is um, reassuring to know that even people of faith, that even God's people in the Bible went through this, that they themselves were enslaved, that they themselves went through a lot of injustice, a lot of pain, a lot of heartache, and that in the end, the people conquered. In the end, you know, God spoke to Pharaoh, in the end, Died. So it says, Pharaoh, you have been wicked and denied my will. My people came to you as strangers in a strange land, and you denied them. The land of their pilgrimage, and you have kept them in bondage. Now you will be punished for your cruelty and for casting upon them anguish of spirit. And Pharaoh lived many days under the watchful eye of the Lord God, until a pestilence arose within him. A sour smoke choking him from within, and though he still appeared in the vestige of man, and a cloud moved into his spirit, and within he was no man but a plague, like rock on the silk of corn, a filth where sugar had been. And so it is reassuring to me, and I think about this, and as I go through and I see the pictures and and I read about all of the pain and all of the heartache and all of the oppression. And I read about that young man who died, who was swimming and because he had swam too far into the white section, he got stoned. And when I read about the continued encouragement of the looking away and the continuing divisiveness, you know, I think about this and I think about the fact that in the end, um, in my eyes, because of my faith, that God, God will um, be the one to take charge. God will, in the end, he will be in control. And in the end, he will, everyone will have to answer to him. All right. 
So as I move on, I want to talk about how does the book 1919 speak to 2020. When I read the book and I read the different pieces of work in the book, I couldn't help but think about the uncanny similarities to today. It is so fascinating that we've come so far, yet we haven't come very far. When I read, for example, here about the sightseers, often the sightseers and even those included in the nucleus did not know why they had taken part in crimes, the viciousness of which has not been apparent to them until afterward. The sad truth is that most evil is done by people who never made up their minds to be good or evil. And this is just one of the many truths that has translated to 2020. In 2020, we, we, we are struggling again. Um, we are in a crossroads right now in this country where people of color are again fighting for their lives where they are again crying out to say, we want to be equal. We want equity. We do not want to be brutalized. We do not want to be uh, vilified. We do not want to be targeted. And so this was the same thing happening in 1919. And this poem, The Sightseers, where it really talks about how there are people who just sit back and watch. And there are sightseers looking at the house of power, waiting to take a tour. And there are devils in the house. The house has been wicked for so long and the sightseers will worship it. They stand in front and take pictures. They marvel at the white pillars. They send postcards of the house that has the devils in it. And how much we have grown used as a society. It shows as a society how we have gotten used to institutionalizing evil. We have gotten used to institutionalizing oppression. We have gotten used to institutionalizing a lot of things that do not benefit everyone. But yet in it, we allow it. We say, we just sit back and watch. There's so many of us that just watch and take it for granted and say this is what it is and we go about our daily lives as though it's normal and it's okay for these things to happen and so in 2020 where there is so much upheaval where right now there are riots occurring again where right now all the protests are happening we cannot help but draw the parallel between what was happening in 1919 and what's happening today, 2020. Okay. So how do I view this book through my discipline or area of expertise? One of the first things, being in the field of psychology and in counseling, one of the things that immediately came to mind as I started to read this book was trauma. When I looked at it, I saw, I heard, I, I, I read all the stories of people being murdered, people being brutalized, um, just people, Black people, constantly being traumatized and re-traumatized over and over, and it being the acceptable way of life. How for so long you see 
the level of resilience and tenacity and endurance from Black people throughout the African diaspora who have had to endure slavery, then they've had to come out of slavery and fight tooth and nail to get where they are. And still we have this, they drive in, then we have the riots. They're striving, we have right around, we have Black Wall Street where Black Wall Street was burned. If you don't know about Black Wall Street, you should read about it. And we learn the constant trauma to families, to individuals, losing loved ones, people being victimized, people being beaten over and over again. And so Joy DeGroy in her book, Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome, really talks about this. She really talks about the history um, and the effect it has had generally, generationally on descendants of slaves in this country, the impact. If we think that we aren't impacted when things like these happen over and over and over to us again, we are wrong. From violence in the cities of Chicago, the funny thing is, is I look at this and I see so much violence to black and brown bodies in here. And oh, how easily we forget about that. How easily that narrative has disappeared from the history books where we really, how many times have you heard about the 1919 riots prior to when it was really brought to our attention in the last two years, right? Oh, how easily we forget about the violence that has continually happened to black and brown people in this country for centuries, for centuries from being taken away from the continent of Africa, to coming here, to be beaten into submission. And then that people are just going through burning down their homes, over a thousand homes were lost. People just beat them up because, right? You heard about if you didn't have cash, sometimes in your pocket at that time, you could be stopped and arrested or beaten um, just because. And so we have settled for, uh, this norm here in this country that where the violence has occurred over and over and people groups are traumatized and we see this violence in the city of Chicago and we are aghast oh my gosh what's going on here why are these people you know we say why are these people behaving this way but if we really look at history if we really look at how people have been pigeonholed and people have been pushed and people have what people have had to endure, we will begin to understand what is going on. And then we can look at the issue of violence and the cycle that continues and everything that happens, even in the brains of those young boys and girls in the city who are constantly exposed as a counselor. When I worked on the West Side and I had a young lady who her brother was shot on her front doorstep. That is not normal. And with trauma, your brain is reconfigured. When trauma happens, the way your brain processes events and stuff is reconfigured and it affects you. It affects every aspect of your life. So when I look at this, this is part of the narrative, part and parcel for throughout generations, how systemic oppression and how people of color 
especially in this country, African-Americans have continued to be affected and have continued to suffer. So this is, these are essentially my thoughts um, on the book, Eve Ewan's book, 1919. Thank you.